thrilled to speak to you about a couple of things that we need to get from Acts chapter 16. The scriptures have something in every chapter for us. But there are so many things to learn along the way that uh, it's just baffling to see how God works and to continue to see how things have changed from uh, the early existence of the church to this present day. Just want to look at some lessons this morning from what we've been studying and I want to use the topic because of the scriptural text this morning uh, in Acts chapter 16 verses 16 through 20 where the scriptures talks about this young damsel who had been uh, used and abused by her handlers. And I want to do it all under the topic of doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we find ourselves in a position where we are doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. One of the reasons that Paul in Acts chapter 16 speaks to this young lady the way he does, and we talked in Wednesday night Bible class, and we talked last Sunday a little about her, how these men, according to the 16th verse of Acts chapter 16, had this young girl whom they were using to make money because this young slave girl possessed the spirit of divination. Okay? That means she had a devilish spirit in her. And I want to first say this to you about that. There is the possibility that some of the things we do are devil generated rather than God generated. I told you a few Sundays ago that we must not be deceived that the devil doesn't listen in on our prayers. When we pray to God, you know the devil lends an ear too. And I'm convinced in reading God's word that some things that God says no to, the devil says yes to. So the only way we have of knowing whether or not we have a spirit of divination or the spirit of God is by the results, by the motives. And in essence, what Paul said to this young damsel, because now listen to this now. She was in the business of fortune telling. You ever been to a fortune teller? Uh-huh. You don't have to raise your hand. Mm -hmm. some, of the, some of us don't actually go to the fortune teller. We go to the horoscope. And the horoscope is no more than a fortune teller that's written. All right? And I want you to understand that some folk live by those horoscopes. You know, I'm sure all of you know your sign. And if you have never looked in the paper and read your horoscope just out of curiosity, raise your hand. Uh-huh. Yeah, one or two. Most folk, even though we don't believe it, will go over there and see what it has to say about what's coming up for us. Because we kind of want to know what's around the corner so we can get ourselves ready for it. It always amazes me that when you go to those folk, and I haven't been to one, I know people who have been to one, they always tell you things that sound good, you know, as much as you can stand. 
But some of those people are telling you things that are true. That are actual. They know things that you feel they have no way of knowing other than they have the spirit about them. Well, the devil works in people too. And gives them some power that they would not have ordinarily. Here's a young woman in Acts chapter 16 who had the ability through the power of Satan to foretell the future. She was a fortune teller. And we expect that things coming out of the mouths of fortune tellers are things that are doubtful. Even when you sit and listen to them tell you what's going on, we kind of take what we like and we leave what we don't like. Well, here's a young lady who in the midst of the apostle preaching the word of God comes out and agrees with what he's preaching. And she says to those who are listening, these men are the servants of God. Look, folks. When the devil says that, that's a problem. She says, they are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. That sounds strange coming out of the mouth of the devil, doesn't it? I've said once before, even the baptism is suspect if the devil is running the water. There's always something wrong, even if it's good, if it's coming from the devil. Because the motives are in question. That's what's in question here, not what they're teaching, not what's being said, but why are you doing it? One of the lessons that jumps out at us as we've been studying the 16th chapter is how Paul spoke to this young lady about what she was doing. She was in the habit of following them while they were teaching. According to verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us, Luke includes himself, and cried out saying, these men are the servants of God. And she did this according to verse 18, many days. She just kept following them really undoing what they were doing because these folks knew who she was. They knew she told fortunes. They knew she had a spirit of divination. And for this to come out of their mouth had to be confusing for some of those people. And that is why Paul eventually seized the opportunity to tell us some things. He said in verse 18, she did this many days, but Paul, who was greatly annoyed. We ought to be greatly annoyed when the devil is putting something in a Christian mouth. We ought to be able to see beyond that and do something. Paul was greatly annoyed and as a result turned and said to the spirit, Lord have mercy, not to her, but to who was controlling her. You remember when Peter pulled Jesus aside in Matthew 16 and tried to tell him that he wasn't going to die? And he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He didn't say get behind me, Simon Peter. 
Get behind me, Satan. Here's this man doing the same thing. Paul says, the Bible says he spoke to not the damsel, but the spirit that was in her. Here's a lesson. We need to look beyond the person doing the speaking to who is doing the speaking. And you can tell that by what comes out of their mouth. Once you discover that, then you know who you're dealing with. I said to you often here, don't get mad at the folk who do simple things. Get mad at the spirit who's driving them to do those things. When you hear somebody talking like the devil, you ought to say, Satan, get behind me. Not Mary or Sue or John. Satan is speaking. So speak to the one who is speaking to you. The Bible says Paul uh, said to that spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that she was no longer able to tell fortunes, they concocted a story. Today we know that as putting spin on something. You know, you, you, you can put spin on something. We ought to be spins masters, spin masters by now. Because as we watch the news every day, we hear people saying things and then somebody else comes out and put another spin on it and you don't know whether it's good, bad, right, wrong, and that's the devil because he seeks to confuse men about what it is God wants us to do. Because they had lost their money now, this young damsel who was bringing them money, they'd lost it they went to the magistrates and said to them, uh, these men are troubling our city. When really they were only troubling their pocketbooks. They weren't really troubling the city. They were troubling their pocketbooks because before then they hadn't said anything. But because of this young lady and because of Paul's exercising that devilish spirit out of her they were angry now I want you to understand folks that the devil is still alive and well yeah. and the devil is not to be played with if you go out there buying stuff and all of this you know this this stuff that's supposed to get you into the deep dark secrets of black magic and devil worship you know if you lean yourself out there like that the devil will come to you the Bible says if you resist him, he'll flee from you. But what about if you invite him into your space? You give him a place to live in your mind, then the devil is going to have his way with you. Now this is the lesson that I want you to take from that, that brief encounter with this damsel who had a devilish spirit. It is possible. To do all the right things, to say all the right things for the wrong reasons. And in the final analysis, that doesn't do you any good. Because one of the staunch realities of living as a, as a Christian is that we, we discover that God is much more concerned with why and how we do what he commands rather than simply what we do. Under the old law, 
The Ten Commandments were, were staunch. I am God. I am the Lord your God, God says in Exodus 20. I'm a jealous God. I will have, you, you will have no other God before me. And it goes on to say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Now, in the old law, God didn't care about how you felt about that. The law was don't kill, don't steal. Don't envy, don't covet your neighbor's goods or his wife. Don't commit adultery. Didn't care about how you felt about it or what your motive was. Under the old law, the scriptures were just concerned and God was just concerned about you keeping the law that was written on tables of stone. Acts, uh, yeah, Exodus chapter 20. In the new law, we have it better in one way in the sense that we are no longer required to keep what's written on stone, but now to keep what's written on our hearts. See, it ought to be much more personal when we embrace it. 65 miles an hour is just a number on a sign until you buy in and say, I have to do 65 no more and no less. Well, in the scriptures, in the new law, you'll find that God brings over those Old Testament laws with the exception of remembering the Sabbath day and keeping it holy as a day of worship. In the old law, it's the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. When you come together to break bread, you, you're worshiping, and it was done after Jesus' resurrection on the first day of the week, the day on which he got up from the grave. So here's what we're left with. The Lord is much more concerned with why we do what we do. So our motives are of the utmost importance to God. Now, motives are the underlying reasons for our actions. Motives are the underlying reasons. That, that the motive is the real reason you dropped a hundred in the basket. The motive is what's down underneath what you're saying. See, this damsel said, these men are servants of God who are teaching us about salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But the motive was ugly. The motive was, we want to confuse you, the hearers, and get you in a position where you don't know what's happening. Motives are the underlying reasons for our actions. And they are of the utmost importance to God in the new law. Because God is no longer simply concerned about what we actively do, but why are we doing it? In Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's instructions to his disciples, and often he pointed to the Pharisees as example of these things. He says in that first through the third or fourth verses, you be careful of how you give on. When you decide you're going to give some alms, when you decide you're going to put something in the collection tray, and Jesus was teaching these things because they needed to be taught. 
The folk were doing exactly what he was teaching them not to do. The Pharisees were doing exactly what he was teaching his disciples not to do. When you give, he says, don't go on the rooftop. See, it's not about what you're giving. It's about how you're giving. It's about the motive underneath. You know, it's not about you being in church. It's what you're here for. Why did you come? And some folks show us that they came evidently because we got some of the most comfortable chairs anywhere. Some folks who can't sleep at home can come to church and get comfortable enough to go to sleep. So I ask you again, what you come looking for? is in direct proportion to what you'll get when you get here. If you came looking for nothing, you'll receive nothing. Because you've already decided that your motive is just to be seen, is not to get anything. I just want to keep folk from calling me, finding out where I was. So I show up, and that way I can avoid five or six phone calls during the week. I'm not here because I'm really seeking to know God's word and make some kind of change in my life. I'm here to keep the hanks off. And then what they say, I'm here, I'm just taking a little bit to get the hanks off me. Some folk take a little bit of God, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of worship just to keep the hanks off. But their motive is in question. Jesus accused the Pharisees of doing religious things to be seen of men. He accused them even of praying to be seen of men. Think about that. Jesus said regarding the Pharisees in Matthew 6, they stand out in the marketplace with their long robes on and their tassels. And they pray these long, repetitious prayers, not because they're earnest, but to be seen of men. I wonder this morning if what we're doing is to be seen of men. That's the others who are here, not men out there necessarily, but it starts right here. What am I doing in my personal life that I'm only doing to impress you? Oh, I can get up and pray a wonderful prayer here. But do I pray when I'm not here? Mm -hmm. I can give and write on my, on my contribution envelope what I'm giving. And for some, it could be impressive. For others, maybe not. But God is more concerned about what is my attitude about what I'm dropping in the plate. What is my motive? Because if my motive is not right, then my, my dropping in the plate is nullified. That's the thing we need to understand this morning. If we don't sing right, God nullifies it. If we don't pray right, that is with the right motives, God nullifies it. It's as though we never pray because we're doing the right thing, but we have the wrong motive. Deep down inside, have you ever done something 
so that men will just fawn over you. In 1 Corinthians, Paul got on the church because they were preferring one minister before another. They were listening to the word of God, but their motive was off. Their motive was, well, I like the one who preaches the best. I like the one who can get up and use the English language or whatever the language to make me swoon in my head. Well, see, if you do that, you're concerned about the praise of men. You're concerned about your own selfish desires. So there were those even who took the Lord's Supper in a way that would bring attention to them. Isn't that something? Even in the communion service, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11 that they had messed that up too. They had turned what Jesus introduced in Matthew 26 as the bread and the wine which represented his body and his blood. Now they've turned that into a picnic where everybody shows up with their own basket and sit to themselves and that was the supper you bring yours i'll bring mine now you know i'm so glad paul put a, a stop to that through the guidance of the holy spirit because that would mean if that had held up we'd be coming to the communion service with all kind of stuff but would bring what they like so we would no longer have just bread and wine you know some of y'all break up here and here was a mac and cheese and got to have some meat in there and that's what they were doing they were bringing what they wanted to bring and were eating it amongst themselves others who didn't have anything to bring were left out that was never the design of the communion service thank God he didn't require any more than this a piece of leaven, unleavened bread and a cup of juice what can you do with that? We have taken it and because of our motives made it something it was never intended to be. Jesus says, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Now we're not talking about beans and peas and cornbread. We're talking about things that represent the body and the blood of Jesus. So I want you to understand today that we can be guilty of doing all the right things for the wrong reasons. It's really not about what you eat, but how you feel about what you eat. Paul said to Timothy, the time would come when men will not endure sound doctrine. They will teach all kinds of things. There are some folk who will teach you to abstain from marriage. He says there are some who will teach you that there are certain things you ought not eat which God has given to be received with thanksgiving. So it's not so much about what you eat, it's about why you're eating it. But in 1 Corinthians, we find out around chapters 14 that if you're eating something, you don't want to destroy your brother because he has a misconception about why you're eating pork or any kind of food. But what the scriptures do teach us in Romans is that we have to be careful that we, whatever we do, we do of faith. Because whatsoever is not of faith is sin. 
So if I violate my conscience by eating something that I believe to be wrong to eat, for me, it's wrong. Not for you. For me, it's wrong. Because I'm violating my conscience. I have no faith in what I'm getting ready to do. All my faith says to me, that's bad to eat, and I eat it anyway. To me, it becomes a sin. It's not about what you wear, but why and how you wear it. Why you come to church the way you do? God doesn't demand that we dress any particular way. So why do we wear what we wear to church? Search your conscience now. Get down in there. Is there something about you that says God is more accepting of me in a suit and a tie and a shirt than he is if I walked in with a t-shirt and a pair of jeans and sneakers? In your heart, is there something that says God wouldn't be pleased with that? Well, let me tell you what God is pleased with. The Bible says he looks beyond man's outer appearance and he looks on the heart of a man. We look at each other and we're all impressed. We say to each other, you sure look good today. Or that must be new. Or I haven't seen that before. What is that all about? In the greater scheme of things, what is that all about? It reveals motives about us that are off track. You sure look good, so you must be here to worship today. No such connection. You want your best today, so you must be here to really listen. No connection. You know, it's possible for us to be in remedial Christianity, folk. Because folk who are in remedial Christianity, you know what remediation is, right? When you're not ready for the academic classes in college, they put you in classes to get you ready for the academic classes. And while you're there, they say you are a developmental student. You're not a student yet. You're developing into a student who's ready to do what we require. So until that time, you are in remediation. Well, if we don't understand some things about how God works, we can find ourselves as remedial Christians. One of the things we must understand is the importance of motives. Because bad motives can destroy all the good that we do. Everything you do that's worthwhile, if the motive isn't right, you might as well to not have done it. Whether we're talking about what we eat, what we wear, what we give, how we pray, it's not even about how much we pray. But what do you say when you pray? And why are you praying in the first place? What you looking for? Have you ever been caught up in that, that syndrome where we pray when we need something? And when you don't need anything, you don't pray. If you're not in a bad way, you don't pray. But when you are in a desperate situation, that's the first thing you want to do. You know what that's about? Motive. I only want to talk to God when I need something from him. The rest of the time, I don't have a need to pray. Because I got everything I need. That's a bad motive, folks. And it's a motive that will stop the Lord from giving us the things that we ask for in prayer. 
And then there are those who are in remedial uh, Christianity because they allow things to block them from obeying. There are a couple of things that will block you from obeying or even hearing the message. The first is overly concerned about other folk. Being overly concerned about other folk will cause you to miss the message for you. Don't be concerned about other folk. Let them work out their own soul salvation. You work out yours. That over-concern about other folk will have you saying things like, when they start doing it, I start doing it. But you know what? That's not what Jesus is going to be concerned about in the judgment. I know you would have done it if some others had done it. And therefore, come on in. Oh, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says you've been faithful over a few things in Matthew 25. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many things. And then there are those who use the blocker of worshiping grudgingly. That'll make you miss every message that's designed for you. You hear, but you hear grudgingly. Check that out for a minute. You know what being here grudgingly looks like? When you drag in, you know, things you really want to go to, you get there on time. Mm -hmm. But when you drag in, that's a sign that you really ain't excited about being here. I'm talking about anybody, everybody. And that comes under the category of being here, but having the wrong motive. I'm going because somebody told me I need to be there. It's not the message that we want to convey when we come. So you know what? We ought to come up in here better than we go any place else we want to be. We come up in there on time. We want our seat. We want to go to some places so we can get a good seat. That's not here. Because folks say, well, you know, wherever you're sitting, there's a good seat. So I don't have to be sitting in the middle. I don't have to be sitting over here, over there. But you know what? The greater motive is I'm here because I came to worship God in spirit and in truth. Because the scriptures tell me that I ought not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but to even be reminding each other as we see the days approaching. So I want to ask you this morning, are you doing the right things for the wrong reason? Who's winning the battle that's raging in your mind between the flesh and the spirit? You can answer that question quite easily. Who calls the shots in your life? Is it still your fleshly mind? Or is it the spirit of God working with you to do what's right to do? We're going to continue this lesson, but I want you to understand this. There are a couple of things we want to stay away from as we witness for Christ in these last and evil days. The chameleon. We don't want to be chameleon Christians. The chameleon is special because it has the ability to change its color so that it blends in with its surroundings. 
In Ephesians 4, the scriptures talk about us being lights in a world of darkness. Maybe if, if people are having difficulty distinguishing us as Christians, maybe it's because we've become the same as our environment. That whatever we land on and wherever we go, we do what we need to do to blend in and to look like the environment. Some people do that even here. You wouldn't know them if you met them out there in the street. Some of us have seen each other out there and we miss each other. Oh, that's you, Brother Anthony. Yes, that's me. Because I may have on some Crocs and, and a pair of sweatpants and something I've thrown on and a cap. And I've had people pass me and say, is that Brother Anthony? That's because they're so used to seeing me dressed in different garb. But see, when I'm out there, I try to blend in and look like everything but a preacher. <laughs> now you go, why you do that, Brother Andy? Because I don't want folks changing their behavior because I'm a preacher. That's just me. There are people who say, oh, you're you a rebel. Stop cussing, y'all. The rebel just came in. But you know what? I doubt if you can say anything I haven't heard or been called before. But we as Christians can put ourselves in a position where we are no longer distinguishable because we blend in everywhere we go. And what eventually happens is you forget. You know, if that chameleon, uh, that, that blending is to protect us from predators. If you mess around and don't blend in, then you had, you somebody's breakfast. You know, and the, the, the problem with us is that we forget to change up sometimes. We come here and we forget to blend. Uh -huh. Which means we wrong, we, we worn the wrong personality to the wrong event. Some of us come up in here and we act everywhere like we act anywhere but the church house. You know what always baffles me is that we're here to worship but when 10 o'clock comes folks still mingling out there some of you are carrying on conversations up in here and even when the man of God gets up here to lead songs he has to say sometimes two and three times will you come in and take your seat what you think you were coming to if worship starts at 10 we ought you to be at 10 in your seat, meditating, Lord, thank you for bringing me here safely. Open my heart so I can hear what's for me today. And instead of doing that, we won't even stop our conversation about yesterday's ball game to sing praises. Almost got to beg, folks. That tells you something about motive. You may say you're here because it's important that you be here, but your, your activity gives you away every time. Don't be bipolar Christians. People are one way today and another way tomorrow. People are one way when service starts and another when service ends. That's bipolar Christianity. 
God would have us to know that the church ought to stand for something so that it won't fall for anything. And when we finish, when we finish this book, this great book of Acts, we will have picked up several things that I'd like for you to take with you today. The church is expected to be consistent and unmoved in its commitment to the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's what we're expected to do. That is the least we can do. And Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, we expect it to continue doing something on a personal level to bring someone to faith in Christ, whatever that means, according to your gifts. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. The church is expected to stand for something. What is it? The world knows we believe. Titus 2 Verse 8, Paul encourages Titus to practice sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part, those who don't believe what we believe, may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say about us. Jesus was the same no matter where he was, no matter how he was treated, no matter what was going on around him. His greatest love was for mankind. He never gave up on us, thank God. He never found us any less worthy to die for. He doesn't regret what he did for us. He hasn't taken back anything he did for us. And he alone makes it possible that our past, present, and future sins are forgiven. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to hear what we need to hear and help our motives to be genuine so that what we do can truly be accepted as a work according to the will of God. If you hear this morning and you, you hear this and you believe it, <coughs> excuse me, and you're willing to repent, the opportunity is yours this morning. You may be here and you don't need to be baptized. You're already in the church, but you've come to realize that a lot of the things you do are not because you really want to do them, but because other folk want you to do them. And that's not sufficient. If you're here and you need prayer in that area, the Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous avail much. We're here for you as you come right now as we together stand and sing.